Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Yo, people, Anna David with After Party Pod. After Party Pod is a part of After Party Magazine, a website determined to change the face and get rid of the stigma around addiction and recovery. Now, After Party is a part of RehabReviews.com, the world's largest resource for treatment centers across the globe. You can go there to see if your rehab stay could be free. Go to RehabReviews.com slash benefits dash check. What else can you do there, you may ask? You can get a Recover Girl t-shirt. Go to RehabReviews.com slash Recover Girl shirt. Sorry, guys. Anyway, you'd know all of this if you were signed up for our newsletter. What are you doing? Go sign up. RehabReviews.com slash newsletter dash sign dash up. Now here's the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hey, you guys, it's Anna David with After Party Pod here with you today. How are you? God, I just had this urge to stop this recording and start again. Um, What do I want to tell you? Welcome to the podcast if you're new. Welcome back if you're not new. Um, Like newcomers around here. Um, Like old timers around here. Like people in between. Uh, thank you for your emails. I'm trying to think if I have any new ones to discuss. No. What the fuck are you guys email? Ah, I don't like swearing. Why the heck are you guys not emailing me as much as you were? It's not entirely true, but, but Hey, I love hearing from you. Questions, comments, love letters, whatever you want to send. And, uh, what's going on right now? It's, uh, the beginning of July. I don't think it will be by the time you hear this, but want to hear an example of just like not living in the moment. I'm already like, summer's going to end. I just swore again. Summer's going to end. Like that's something to be thinking about the first week in July. When I live in a place where it's almost summer year round, but that's that, you know, there you go. Uh, what else is going on? We, uh, tomorrow night we'll be having our first after party reading at Muse Cafe in Hollywood. This is highly irrelevant by the time you hear this because well, by then the after party reading series will probably be a, a worldwide sensation. So, why am I telling you about stuff you already know about? But but ideally, it's going to be this great thing where we do it all the time, or at least every month. And I'm excited. I'm excited because I now have a pretty good, I'm sorry, a great staff in place at After Party Magazine slash Rehab Reviews, where um, this podcast is a part of that site, if you don't know that. Anyway, and, and now, after years of sort of sitting in front of my computer editing furiously, 
now I'm in a situation where people are doing their jobs and I can kind of take a step back and get a little macro instead of so micro and figure out what else we want to do with After Party. We're talking about a book. We're doing this reading series. Uh, Danielle and I are going to do a little video series. Um, if you guys have any ideas, what would you want? We have t-shirts now. Uh, we run promotions for those. We're now doing book giveaways. And that's a really great way to transition into today's episode because we are giving away five signed copies of his memoir, which is called A Bitter Taste of Dying. Now, his name is Jason Smith. And... He is a fantastic new writer, uh, and when I say new, he gets into this, and please don't be jealous if you're a writer. He started writing one year ago, and his memoir, which is uh, receiving much acclaim and is selling really well, just came out. It, it's a crazy story. He has a crazy story that's very, very brilliantly documented in this memoir. Uh, it's published by Thought Catalog, which is, you know, that you know, that website that, that all of us who have websites are a little jealous of because it's just taken off and been crazy. I, I will tell you, I wrote two stories for Thought Catalog and never have I gotten meaner comments. So let's just say that the Thought Catalog readers are not, you know, David's biggest fan. So it's cool. You know, commenters are vitriolic. We all know that. Except except the people who comment on After Party, which uh, are, are lovely people. And I'm not just saying that. Anyway, Jason uh, started writing writing for Medium, um, if you know that website, and uh, and it all just took off. And uh, his addiction story is pretty. It, it's 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 a serious. He he devoted. He he was a full time addict, uh, but he was sort of holding it together. And it's a powerful book. So. Uh, Check it out. Uh, you can also win your copy by being one of the first five people to comment on this episode on the website. I think I say this later in the episode, but whatever. Uh, never hurts to reinforce. And, and it's a wonderful book, and it'll be signed by him and sent to you. Free stuff. This will be good. Um, what else do I want to tell you? Oh, this episode, you guys really seem to respond well to that, uh, this quote-unquote new format where it's two, it's three of us talking. And the reason new is in quotes is that I said I was doing the new format and then I stopped. Uh, and, and I just figured it's always more fun with Danielle around. So Danielle Stewart joined us today for this episode. And I think that's enough for me. I'm just going to give you Jason Smith. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Sorry. No, that's. I figured he was a black man. Okay. Okay, we're we're going. Um, so okay, so Jason, Danielle, and I were just criticizing you for your sponsor's spelling of his name. Yeah, I apologize. Book. I apologize for that. What can you do about that? Can you make amends? <laughs> well, that's the only thing is that's his is the only real name in the book, so it's actually hard to talk about some of the stories in the book because I don't remember what I named people. Right, right. But he's he's legit. Like that's his real name. He had uh, to sign a release and everything. What? Yeah. Oh my god. Publisher made him sign a release. Like 
I never did that with any of did my books. Did you use real names? I, I did very few, but but um, when I my I remember my first book they did, they went through legal really seriously because they have to prove that it, the description can't fit more than. Like there have to be more than five people in the world mm -hmm. that could fit this description. Oh, but I'll tell you. Sorry, I'm already hijacking this entire conversation. But I, in my, I had a character um, named Chad Milan because anyway, I had and and a guy named Chad Milan wrote me and emailed me and said, "Do I know you? Because I'm a character in your book." Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I've got a quick question. We're gonna probably cut him out of this yeah, entire podcast. Yeah. Jason, um, you'll be on the top. Maybe you like. I was watching an episode of Two and a Half Men, and Brooke Shields played a character that's an alcoholic sex addict. You don't know me, but that does describe me. Who lived next door to to Charlie Sheen, and is named Danielle Stewart. First and last name. Shut up. First and last name. Can I get money from that? Like it. I was, and I then I like, like look furiously the look was. for the writer was, but you know they never. It's like it gives the the like one writer the credit. It's not. Do you know any TV writers? Uh, obviously not, or I wouldn't be sitting here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but that's amazing. Uh, Chad Milan was. I'm just gonna say super hot. Like he sent his picture just in case, and I th I thought we might have a great romance, but it, it didn't happen. Is, is Brian spelled Byron super hot? I mean, he's he's a married man. Like, like he's yeah, married. they're not hot anymore. Yeah, I don't know. We might lose that when we get the ring. Um, well, and you've been you've been married twice, right? Yeah. So yeah, you lost. How did you know up. about that? I don't even, did I put the first marriage in the book? Yes, dude. Did I? Do you not know what's in your book? I haven't read it. <laughs> well, okay. Well, first of all, there's a long-suffering woman. N n no offense, and I and there's a the mother of your child. Yeah. Was your wife? No. Oh no no no, no. okay. So uh, Ali, uh, I think I gave her the name Elise. I guess I can say the real name on the air, right? Uh, you know why not? So, not yeah no she so she we never got married. Got her it. And me and so um, yeah no I wouldn't d forget about her. But I got I, there was like I had like a short lived marriage like when I was like twenty five. Okay. One of those like eight month marriages where yeah. all I had my a three week engagement. So, not trying to one up you or anything. No, that would be one down me. That is. Danielle, don't forget to talk about your three week engagement into the mic. Sorry. <laughs> I had a three week engagement. Yeah, how would. Nothing. I didn't mean to hijack that. I was. No, it's okay. It's I'm, more I'm... impressive, by the way, than eight months. Is it? Mar um, eight On what scale? Yeah. On the ridiculous scale? Yeah. Yeah, like I broke up with him in enough time for him to return the ring and get a full refund. Oh, so you were still in that 30 day? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't have such a refund on, on the wedding ring. And that was expensive. But it was like my friends were all getting married. And plus, I was using a lot. Yeah. And so I was just kind of like trying to just reach out and grab whatever I could for a life raft. And, yeah. And I, and that's, I mean, that's the, that, is it allowed to swear? Or we keep Swear as much as you want. That's the, that's the shitty thing about, all of this is the people that get hurt yeah. because I mean going through it like I took a lot of people with me yeah and a lot of people through it that had no idea that I was what I was going through you hit it well I hit it really well what I could tell yeah but. like I mean I was able to get hired uh can I say the company in the book I wonder I I'm wondering I the say let's just be as careful as possible because I don't want any trouble okay so I worked I mean I I interviewed and and I worked for a, a company in China mm -hmm. that, that is a well-known mm -hmm. uh, company here in America, Anaheim. 
you know, mm-hmm. it was a big hit there. And, uh, <laughs> and I was directing a language school for them, yes. you know, and I interviewed and I, got, I could get the job. I could interview well, but I couldn't hold it together. Yeah. And so everything unraveled. You can only fake it for so long. And, uh, it just seemed like the more, I, the longer I used, the more spectacular the collapses became. Yeah, I was impressed with how impressive the jobs you were able to get were considering the lifestyle you were describing. And so on the outside, I could I could really fake it, but I was so dead inside. And so the things I would do, it wasn't just drugs. I mean, sex yeah. um, was a big one, too, where I wouldn't consider myself a sex addict. No one does, really. <laughs> Except you. <laughs> I think but, Danielle wrote a story saying that she was a sex addict for the site, and then another one that said she wasn't. I can't even remember. Me neither. I don't. It's not important. Continue. Today... You consider or don't consider? You know, it, yeah, it's it's a day-to-day thing. It's a, <laughs> it depends on where I'm at in the Kinsey scale that day. So. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it was one of those things. So it just, it was a way for me to sort of try to validate something uh, on the inside. Right. That I just, that the drugs were numbing. And so, but in that process, like, I hurt a lot of women. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of really good, like, amazing girlfriends that, that didn't understand the using thing. They weren't addicts and so to them and i think i explained that in the book like to them it must have looked crazy it, to them it looked like an affair right because the behaviors are the same you know the behaviors of an affair and behaviors of hiding an addiction are the exact same you know you're sneaky you're being you're manipulative money is going to disappear what are you doing with your time how come you never have a sex drive right because with opiates that's gone yeah and so they assume you must be getting it somewhere else and so they start putting the, those clues together and then uh, you know, they're, they, in their mind, the only way they can make sense of it is that it's an affair, yeah. which isn't far from the truth, really. I yeah. mean, but there was no affair. Like you're telling me that there was no, nothing that went with that. Like there wasn't any side pussy that went with the with the using. And, and, oh yeah, no, there always was. Yeah, there, there, so so it was an affair. Well, it was no, two affairs. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, it, it was. It was, but then there was like affairs on the affairs. You know, there was right. like because the the people that you're having the affair with don't know that you're that they're the affair. They don't know that the side. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And it's like I you, sure and, and so you kind of like have to keep. To, it's just a mess. I'm so happy I don't have to do that anymore. But uh, now the process of cleaning all that up sometimes isn't fun. Yeah. You know? How long are you sober now? Two, uh, twelve, twelve, twelve. So um, about yeah. two and a half years. Yeah. Um, such a, such a new baby. That's a that's a fa- fascinating sobriety date, by the way. Yeah. Not only because of the twelve, 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 but also because twelve step programs. Right, right. Did not intentional. No, no. Twelve, eleven, twelve was just like the shittiest day. You know, yeah. it's like the last day, and <laughs> it was. I don't know, man. It was. I started using when I was seventeen, and I stopped when I was thirty-three. Mm-hmm. So. Um, like the the ride between the beginning and the end was so crazy at times. Yeah. But the the in reality it was it's what you hear at any twelve step meeting when somebody else tells their story of just sort of that 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 chasing that feeling. And I was talking with somebody the other day about like there's the universe just sort of arbitrarily draws lines and like okay, when you cross this line, you'll go from wanting the drug to needing the drug to function. Right. And there's no, for different people, it's at different times. Some people can, will never cross that line. Some people will cross it in the beginning. And I think the second big 
line after that is the line between being able to hold it together and the line between uh, on the other side where it just crumbles. Mm-hmm. And, it, and when it crumbles, there's no putting it back. There's no way. Like yeah. I went from a guy who had never had any legal problems. I was able to use like my first 10 years without any legal problems to in a one month time, two DUIs in one night, yeah. uh, public intoxication for trying to make that phone call on my neighbor's shoe. Right. Like um, really like, and all of a sudden it's like, I've got court dates and I've, I'm missing uh, court dates and now there's a warrant out for me. And all of a sudden it's like, you get caught up in that. Yeah. And it happens so fast. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was able to avoid that. Thankfully, um, you took it far, you know, but one of the invisible lines I was going to say is using drugs with people or drinking with people versus doing it alone. Mm -hmm. That seems like a big line, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know for me, like I I say, I talk about some really personal stuff in the book, like losing my virginity, Mm -hmm. for example, which was a weird story to write because my mom, I knew my mom was going to read it. Yeah. Um, she perked up. Did your mom take your virginity? No, she read about me losing my virginity in the okay, book. I like that you answered that seriously. But it was, it was one of those things where, um, like, at, that's what it did for me in the beginning. It made me really social, made me yeah. really want to be around other people. And I could, I'd, everyone else was drinking, I was high. What's the difference, you know? And if you fast forward, like, to the end, when I'm, like, trying to kill myself in a dark apartment or in a dark room by myself, with nobody else around. Right. The drug that I was using is the exact same. Like right. it didn't change. It stayed the same. It did exactly what it was advertised to do, but it was me. It was the way I responded to it and the way I changed in that period. So yeah, I think, you know, to go from like the, a time when there was a really happy experience and a really social experience to just wanting to, I had to, you, you got to use to get out of bed. To not yeah. be sick. Yeah. And that's like a nasty... Because at that point, you're not even chasing a high. You're, you're running from a detox. And uh, it always catches you. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, by the way, the losing virginity story is pretty intense. It's sort of like every guy's fantasy. But it's... Out, it's I think. But it's insane. Like that girl. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so you go from like lusting after this woman, not being able to talk to her, getting high to like fucking her in a movie theater that night. Uh, a theater theater. Oh, wait a minute. Is, was it Alanis Morissette? No. Cause didn't she go down on him on yeah, the theater? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no. no she, she, she got more than that. Okay. I can't wait to, to read that. Part. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little erotic. I would say. Was it? A little bit. How my erotic writing skills? You know, pretty good. Subtle. Subtle, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, wasn't it Jerry Stahl who did, uh, who wrote like soft porn? Yeah, yeah. he did. Mm-hmm. Um, Danielle's interviewing him next week. I just had coffee with him. Mm, I can't wait. Nice guy. Like, yeah, really did he nice guy. he blurbed your book? Uh, yeah. He, yeah. He blurbs everybody's first book. He blurbed mine. Uh, thanks. I felt special until you guys. No, but you know what he says is that the reason he says yes is that, you know, his uh, Hubert Selby, Cubby, blurbed right. his book and that he and Cubby said to him, you always say yes. It's like n- not turning down an AA request. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, how cool is like because there are some writers that get very protective of the genre. Like, yeah, that's retarded. But yeah, yeah. Right. But they, they feel like, yeah, you don't know, infringe on my territory. Right. And it's, and, and so it's, how refreshing is it to see someone of his stature that's that open and yeah. willing? Yeah, which absolutely. Is how it, you know, it should be. 
Yeah, um, I was a stand-up comic for 10 years, and I hate every other stand-up comic, so I would never be that forthcoming. Yeah. If anybody asked me to do anything for them that was in stand-up, I would say no, absolutely no. They wouldn't, because I'm not successful, but <laughs> if they did, it would be a no. Yeah, it's very weird, because, but, you know, th this isn't, whatever, the I would say that some people with blurbs are like, oh, cool, I get my name on a book. He's not like that. He does not need to do that. But um, but yeah, it's definitely a thing that yeah. he's just incredibly generous. Yeah, there there were two people that I was, Jerry Stahl was one of them, and then Jonathan Alter from, uh, I don't he, was the, he was the senior editor at Newsweek, oh, okay. MSNBC, okay. NBC News, yeah. who agreed to read it and wrote like a really good review. Yeah. Oh, and he reviewed it on yeah, the site? Yeah, he reviewed it and then get, he, get, he got the review back to me before the... the so you could uh, use it as a right. blurb. And it was really nice. And that's actually been able, I'm hoping, uh, this is my first book, so it's all kind of new and a learning process, but to have somebody with sort of the... Sort of the media background, um, the journalism background, sort of vouch for it, and then to have somebody like Jerry Stahl vouch for it. Like I couldn't ask for yeah. more than that on a first book. Like uh, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Question: What? What? So I just. What's the? Would you say that's the nicest thing that's ever happened to you that other people have ever done for you? Good question. No, you want to know the nicest thing that ever happened to me was so. There's a lot I had to leave out of the book mm -hmm. um, because it would have been unbelievable. We're calling this episode the cutting room floor. <laughs> <laughs> there was like um, I got well. There's just different things, but um, after I overdosed in France and I went back to Italy to try to come home, and I and I mentioned in the book that my sister paid for me to fly home, but I had to spend like uh, four or five days at the consulate in Florence because right. I didn't have a passport. And so while they were doing that, my family, I was trying to play it off like, no, it wasn't drug related. You know, I just lost all my shit and all my money and I have nothing and I'm sleeping on the street. Help me. But it's not drug related. Right. You know, um, so I didn't have anything. And, and the, the consulate, while they were sort of uh, checking my story out, my sister had warned him like he's a drug addict. So don't give him any money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the consulate was giving me like uh, coupons for like French fries at McDonald's. And so, and I didn't have shit to do all day long. So I'd go to a, a bookstore and I'd read or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I came out of the bookstore and there was this Australian couple and they had a map, you know, they were trying to, and I knew Florence really well because I'd lived there. I said, oh, do you need help? Mm -hmm. uh, and they're like, oh yeah, we're looking for, you know, um, uh, what, uh, Piazza Santa Croce or whatever. And I said, oh, and, you, know, you know, just go straight down here. And, go, and I gave them directions like, oh, thank you. They were like really happy. And so then I went back to my bookstore and I ran into them like an hour later and they said, oh, we forgot to ask you, are you okay? Like, cause I had, cause I had blood on my face. Like <laughs> I was, I've been sleeping in a train station. I was like, oh, actually I got robbed. Mm -hmm. I gave, and they gave me a hundred euro. Wow. Like out of the goodness of their heart, they were like so nice. They gave me a hundred euro that I directly went and bought drugs with. So, but yeah, like so that was, is that the nicest that's thing? That's the, by far the, I think the nicest thing like a stranger has done for me. I, I don't know why, but uh, in like I wish I could make it up to those that couple, wherever they are in Melbourne. Right. I know they live in Melbourne. And, and, and buy drugs for them. Yeah, go <laughs> and go and go hit up a Melbourne pharmacy for them. Return yeah. the favor. But no, that that's one of the nicest things uh, because that can't. That was a nice thing with nothing attached. Mm -hmm. They were getting no. There was nothing in it for them at all. Those poor saps. Mm -hmm. Hundred bucks. Yeah. No, 200, right? Depends on 100 the... euro at the time was like probably like $140. Jesus. Jesus. Tourists, you know. Um 
that's interesting. I can't think of anything really nice a stranger has done for me, but that's just because my mind is blank. Danielle, do you well, have anything? Uh, well, I'm curious. You guys were just talking about blurbs and like your first book. Don't oh you my feel God. like? Yes. I'm. See, I'm a totally ungrateful person. No, well, you're I was, not. I'm trying to think of anyone who had randomly given me money and that had never, that has never happened. But don't you feel like, I yes. mean, I'm not taking away from the Jerry Stahl no, thing, but don't you like, think that, that somebody lending their... Hundred yeah. percent. I would also say when I was, this was more subtle. When I was writing my first book, and I was like, I don't know what it was like for you, but I was like, oh, you got a book deal before you wrote, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't, and I was just like, this is a joke. Who do I think I am? Blah blah blah. Coupled with this is going to be the most successful novel of you know my generation. Um, that lovely. Okay. I would know, agree with but, that. Um, Danielle hasn't read my book. Totally fine. <laughs> um, but but I there were two people I knew who had published books and they would treat me like it was a real thing and it made all the difference in the world to me. You know, they acted like it, I was going to sell it. They would say things like you're going to sell it and it just, that was the nicest thing. But let's bring it back to program. The nicest thing anyone ever did was my sponsor who just sat there and listened to my shit and did not have to and helped and saved my life. Right. Yeah, see, I, I'm never, they say, um, you know, that, that you have to give it back, give it away to yeah. keep it or whatever. I cannot sponsor. I've tried many, many times, um, and I just am so bad at it, which is very strange because I'm really good at listening to my friends who are in recovery. Yeah, I would. Um, I sit that. with them, I t take their phone calls, but I cannot sponsor people. Um, the, and only, so I, the only lie in that is that she takes their phone calls. That, that is true. I take, take their text calls. messages. Yeah. Very seriously. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I, you know, so it's, it's, I really do feel like m my sponsor, what all of my sponsors have done is unbelievable because I would not do that for another person. Do you sponsor people? I do, but I haven't in a while. Like my first year clean, I got hit, I got hit up all the time. People wanting, you know, to sponsor them. But, uh, I mean, I have guys that I've got one guy that's gone through the steps and he and I are now are just friends. Well, that's an interesting thing. One of I, my sponsor went out when I had a year, so I went on this like never-ending parade to find the right one. After that, um, and one of them, I asked her, and she's like, "Well, you're sober a long time. We don't need to do the steps, right?" And I, I was like, "That's a great excuse." And it was the worst sponsorship experience of my life because I would call her, and she would just tell me what was wrong with me, and I would feel terrible because she wasn't working programs. So yeah. this idea of doing them over and over, like, how, where do we stand on that? I, I definitely think you should always be in the steps. Side note, coming from somebody who is... Not in the steps. Not, I mean, well, technically I am. Technically I'm in my second round of the steps on step seven for about a 14 or 15 months, which I think is pretty average. Very, she's doing it very rigorous. Like seven steps. Yes, <laughs> that's true. How do you feel? Do you think the steps should be done once or... No, I, the way I was taught was... Um, I, you know, I did them once with my sponsor and then anytime I take somebody else through the steps, I'm doing them again. So in other words, if I, if, if you're taking them through like a third step prayer, you're on your knees also saying your third step prayer. And it's, it's I feel so embarrassed when I do that. Is it, yeah, it is kind of, it's a weird thing. I don't it's that. a weird thing. You've never done that? Nope. Never gotten on my knees. I don't know if it's a Jew thing. I mean, you're Jewish too. Never gotten on my knees and maybe why my life, I'm the least successful person in this room by far. <laughs> So that, that's, not that's something to think about. But, but no, I've never done that. And also question, when you're taking someone through the fourth step, are you doing an inventory as well? No, I mean, but no, 
Because if you're doing sort of a daily 10, 11, and 12, you're not... Jason works a really good program. No, but I mean, you're not accumulating all that shit to put on a new fourth step. Right. So if I, if I'm selfish or if there's something in my motives or whatever, like, and I, and I am like real about it on the spot or that day or the next day, I say, you know what? I shouldn't have talked to you like that yesterday. Uh, That was wrong. I was having a bad day. I shouldn't have, you know, whatever. Like then I'm not having to pile that stuff up. Right. Um, But then you brought up a good point about like the sexual inventory with a four step and i don't i don't know if i've ever done like i don't know what that's supposed to entail i know that like i made a list yeah okay so here's my question because i have this theory that um i had to do a thorough sex inventory my first time around which was you know i was a big whore i mean i'm a drink i'm a female alcoholic you know so i big whore and so i that was like almost like the most work i had to do and then i discovered by talking to all these men like that men don't typically do a sex inventory like maybe they'll write down the people they have had mm-hmm. had sex with and like do they owe any of those people an amends like almost like part of the eighth step well, first of all, for anyone listening who wants to know where this is discussed in the big book, it's page 69. Accident, accident. They probably didn't even use that term back in the day. Um, term, number, whatever, you know what I mean. Um, but Do you think they did it? Just didn't have a name for it? That is such a good question. Like, what did they We should have dedicated an episode to this question. Like They've in, always like done in it. medieval England, for example. <laughs> Like, let's say, like, let's go back. Or let's go back to, like, the Shakespearean Elizabethan days. They had to have done that act, but what did they call it? Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to say that they didn't because, you know, especially back in in the Middle Ages, there was not a lot of showering going on. So that particular Mm -hmm. position would have been quite rancid. But I am going to say that from what I know of, like, courtesans, uh, which are the very, um, you know, original prostitutes, so to speak. I mean, not original. Mary Magdalene was the original prostitute, (laughs) but a very old-timey prostitute. Um, That they were very creative. They were always trying to... Their job was to figure out different... I think there was 72s and and 47s, like all things that have just dropped by the wayside that we've only taken 69 into the 21st century. That's an interesting theory. Jason? No, maybe... It just sounds like there needs to be some sort of like sexual archaeology to rediscover some of these lost positions. It, it is what I it is what I majored in in college. Was it started out as cultural anthropology and then it just went into sexual anthropology. And I was doing a lot of research when I um you know uh, before I got sober. And she got AIDS, by the way, in oh, all yeah. of her classes. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, oh, I thought you said she got AIDS. Well, okay, okay, hey, come on, yeah, come on. No. To... <laughs> um, if I did, it would be fine. It's curable. Now. Yeah, no, I'm not going to judge. I'm just saying, like, it threw me off when you said that. Yeah, um, in my, like, off. cavalier way. I should note that Jason, um, is it an ongoing story? It's one story about the sex, your sex education from the Italian woman. Well, you did your writing. research, huh? You know what? I'm no joke. Yeah, you're um, legit. The Sex on Wednesdays. Sex on Wednesdays. Tell us about that. Which, which you might, which you might be turning into a book, maybe, maybe. Oh, look who also did her research. So I've I've thought about it. Um, I kind of want to write away from drugs for yeah. a year. I want to get out of Amen. it for a little bit. Um, I, I when, just want to say that when I when I did see the sex uh, sex on Wednesdays, I was hoping it was a sequel to Tuesdays with Maury. <laughs> <laughs> we will, I would like to note that it is a Wednesday as we record. Go on. <laughs> and well, what did you think of the story? I I I really liked it. 
I mean, that now I feel put on the spot. I um, I think it would be an interesting way for you to go. I, mm. I'm I'm someone who's written about recovery, um, arguably more words than anyone has ever written on it in terms of like the articles and the blog posts and the books. And I and I now think how much I want to get into a new topic. I love recovery, but you know. Yeah, I mean, so my life there was the drugs, which especially toward the second half really took control but there was a period there where i was able to keep it under control and i wasn't using all the time and uh so like for example the sex on wednesdays takes place when i was 19 i was living in florence right and i ended up staying there for a year in florence and so in that year there was so much that happened that changed me as a person but inside of like these pretty cool events so like going to pamplona and running with the bulls uh, that's a cool, I mean, it's a cool linear story, but there's a lot that happened personally while I was there and I was sort of growing up, you yeah. know? And, uh, so like the sex education with, with Lorena, um, was, you know, that's one part of it. And then there's the professor side of it where I learned how to be a student. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sorry of sex. Did, uh, I didn't. I, I, oh, I haven't. I just got the book. I well, will note that it's a 19-minute read on Medium for the ADD okay. generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's long. It's 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 long, but it got uh, quite a few. Um, oh yeah. Re- you know, people read it. Oh yeah. And so I got a lot of uh, weird emails from married women after that. <laughs> what do you mean? What did uh, they write? Just, Teach us what you learned. Uh, not that direct, you know, yeah. but a little bit, you know, more subtle. Yeah. Um, I guess it was a sexy story. I, I but there's not much sex in it. Like right. I don't describe because I felt uncomfortable as a writer, kind of going there. You did a little bit. Uh, I, w- I went. I My my book is more graphic. As I said, the losing your virginity story is a little erotic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 yeah, it's a it w- it happened. <laughs> so, but the, the sex, on, but I didn't know what I was doing. Also. Yeah. Like that, and that was one thing I felt like in sex. You know, sometimes guys feel like they have to like pump themselves up and like, no, you know, they have to be. Kidding. I'm the best lover, you know. And I'm like, no, I was 19. I didn't. I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah, none. Yeah, and I didn't. And yeah, I think women like that because they go, oh, he's teachable and he's not cocky. Yeah, we we love that. This idea that we. I mean, of course, there's always an occasional Thursday or Tuesday, you know, anything but Wednesday, um, that we might want like some Casanova or something. But I think mostly, I don't know, maybe it's just that if you're a sexually forward woman, I I like a man who's like, doesn't know what's up. It's like, let me just do it. Yeah. Let me take control. Let me, let me paint this canvas. Well, and I've gone the, like, I think I'm 35. So at this point in my life, like I really don't have interest in younger women. Well, yes. And it doesn't the sexiest thing ever like, no, I don't because like, I, what, what they don't, what are they going to do? What are they, yeah. they don't know what they're doing. Most of them don't even know what they like, or they're too embarrassed or ashamed to admit what they like at that point yeah. in life. And so they're definitely not going to communicate it. Uh, and so it, that's to me, what are you going to do with that? Right. Uh, okay. I love this. This is really important. So, and I know you're married. Yes. So like, this isn't, this is all hypothetical, but you would you because you're 35 you're still you're on the young end of adult you know what i mean you're like older so um younger women at this point are in their 20s you know i totally get that but when you're like 55 or 45 even um what is more important is a, is a woman who knows how to carry herself in the bedroom more important than like firm tits go 
know, like firm, like a like a female it, listeners take note. Right. If you look at a, um, a, a like a woman in her early twenties and her body's tight and she's she looks good, right? But what's the point of it? They don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't. I would much I would much rather be with a, a normal woman that's you know that knows what she's doing than a tight body that that is gonna is gonna be embarrassed yeah i mean that's i think what that's what i think with that that uh story is about and with Mm -hmm. sex on wednesdays it's about being honest about what you like uh in a a sexual situation be honest about what you like be honest about what your fantasies are don't be ashamed of anything and i think that's why so many marriages collapse and so many relationships fail is because people hold back Mm -hmm. and so if you if you're if you're into kinky stuff find Mm -hmm. a guy who's into the same kinky stuff he's pointing at me by the way i'm not taking this as an accusation (laughs) if you i mean you like handcuffs find a guy that likes handcuffs don't be embarrassed if you like uh whatever like find somebody who likes something similar and then go have fun with it right uh yeah i agree do you know well i mean I, I and that sounds all well and good but i think most women don't know what they like and that's kind of the problem yeah also it's so hard to find somebody who's even dateable that to go like oh now i'm gonna narrow it down to men who also like what i like it's like i don't have the we live in the time. real world Jason. yeah it's like i can't even find a guy who earns an income who isn't going through like a major divorce and has 17 children but um, I digress. Um, I but I well, I'm what I want to know is like, do you think, and 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 this is just hypothetical, but do you think that a man who prefers a 21 year old woman, a man in his late 30s, or early 40s or or beyond, who prefers a woman who's like 21, 22, is gay? <laughs> <laughs> so what happened to you? What? Where? <laughs> Tell How us many the hours story. Do you have? Tell us the story of the man in his late thirties or early forties who you. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, well, it's actually not a per- that personal story, but I, I did a podcast with this horrible, awful uh, comedian. I mean, not not necessarily talent wise, but not listen- listening. Oh, he would never listen to anything that doesn't have his own voice in it. But um, and uh, and he, I'm not gonna say talent wise, whatever. I mean, I don't even listen to his comedy, but just as a person, he's just like a horrible, awful nightmare of a person. And um, he went on this. Whole Whole rant about how um, you know youth is the most valuable thing when it comes to um, you know sexual relationships, and that you know anybody that says any different is just lying, and um, you know that that really it's um, it doesn't really matter what anybody has to offer past a certain age because their skin isn't tight, and really the only people that have any value are in their early twenties when it comes to women. And I just wanted to know if he was homosexual because that was really my not really homosexual, but more like maybe had like a three inch. Cl- Lit rather than a dick. Does that? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Can you so you diagnose. Doesn't... You are the only man in the room. Can you tell us? Go. No. <laughs> how do you even respond to that? I mean, he, obviously, he has a psychological problem. Please tell us. Yeah. No. I think. Look. I think if um, at this point in my life, if I wanted a 20 year old, <clears throat> there's a difference between wanting and looking. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of women don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm at the beach, I'm gonna look. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy. Mm-hmm. Now, you can kill that. And some and a lot of women do kill that in men in their husbands. Well, question: Do you think it's like resisting alcohol? Like you know, it's sort of like oh, you can look at the like you know, and I have no idea. Pills is probably not that great, but it's like beautiful bottles of liquor in a bar. But as long as you don't touch. Um, sorry, I smell alcohol. Is that like the same thing? I love making out with a guy who's been drinking. Not gonna lie. You get the taste? And it's not because I like the taste. I think the taste is disgusting. It's because it kind of reminds me of like furtive first 
uh, you know, first makeouts. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sorry, I keep pulling. Um, if I could, like, to me, a guy that has um, the smell of like ma- like Marlboro Reds and Drucker Noir ew, and 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 Budweiser, and then like a tiny bit of stale bo, I am done. <laughs> like, I that is just the hottest thing in the world to me. That turns you on. Fuck. Um, now, but do you know how hard it is to find a guy who wears Drucker and War in Los Angeles? <laughs> Not since I don't think it's just Los 1989 has <laughs> yeah. that even existed. Well, um, but question, but that didn't remind me. So, have you have you run across pills in your sobriety? Yes. Have you you've seen them in people's medicine cabinets? Or, or I've what? had them in my house. What? Why? Um, bec- my wife had a problem in her throat, and then they they had to go in and. Um, remove something or other Trachea? and treat it. No, it was word. like a. I don't want to. I don't even. I don't want to get into it. Yeah. But, you don't need to. Uh, anyway, it was painful. It was extremely painful. So she had to bring. What were the pills? Uh, it was. She had liquid hydrocodone. So so liquid Norco, yeah. and um, it was a bottle of it. And at that, I was. I remember the first night was a little strange. It was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second day, I just didn't think it was, I, I don't, you know what it's like is it's like seeing, sorry, <laughs> I just, I thought you were, I thought you were going to say, and then it was very weird when I woke up and my dick was in the bottle or something like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> where's your mind at? Um, no, but like, it's almost like seeing an old girlfriend. Uh, that's kind of how mm-hmm. uh, the best, that I really used to love. Like mm-hmm. I, I really had love for them and, and we loved each other and it was passionate, but it died out mm-hmm. and you see him again and it's kind of like, Oh yeah, that's what they look like. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you know, I've got, I'm on to better things. It's so it's not, that's probably the best way I can describe it is yeah. It, it's kind of like that feeling of seeing like an old, you get that little tiny butterfly that you, they used to give you, mm-hmm. but on a much more miniature scale and it's much more fleeting and and so and then it goes away and then that that was that and so th- that's happened twice. Uh, she had a tooth pulled mm-hmm. and a bottle of Norco just sitting on and on, on the counter, and uh, you know there too much good shit going on in my life right now. Yeah. And I don't want to go back to jail. Number one. So one thing that is not in the book is I just got off ankle monitor on July third. Oh my God. Yeah. So I did, there's a, this, the you chapter where I, oh, thank you. So you were on it this whole time? That's like why I was able years? to write all this shit. Wow. That is a really inspiring ankle monitor story. Yeah. I wasn't on it for two years. I was on it. I had to turn myself into jail in October and I had like this consolidation of like crimes from mm-hmm. like all those years of running around and, and just blowing off court dates or and stuff. You know, you pick up something new and you don't turn yourself in. And so they kind of consolidated it for me. And I had an eight-month sentence. And so in October, I turned myself in, and then they released me to do home detention. So I finished the book, and then I wrote all of my new stuff on Ankle Monitor. And what's kind of interesting is is it taught me how to be a better writer because it taught me to slow down and not rush it. Yeah. I mean, I just think that's such a great message for people who are thinking about going to grad school for writing because it it, it just... Ankle bracelet. I mean, and it's a lot more fun to get. And it's probably the same amount as a grad school education. Is it it, no, it, it, but in terms of lawyer fees, it probably cost about a, the same amount. Like a USC yeah. education. They well, yeah, they got me with the franchise tax board at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I've got a, I'm paying that off right now, yeah. and um, which is not even for taxes. It's for like a year of parking tickets when I was at in grad school at Cal Poly, and so I was just like. 
I'm not going to pay it because it's, you know, what's the school going to not let me get my books next? I'm not going to be here anyway next year. So I just blew it off, not realizing it's a California state. Yeah. It's a CSU. So all of my state taxes now just go straight to that. Now I have this fat bill of DUI fines and lawyers. And Do you have financial amends that you're making? That's it. Oh, that's it. Not yeah. not like borrowing money and no. I never I never borrowed a lot of money. Um, There's just those tourists that those tourists in, in Melbourne that if they're listening, um, you're contact rich Anna. Now yeah, contact. all book authors are super super rich. Yeah, so just I'm, I'm raking in the cash. So, but you sold the rights, right? No, so I sold the t- so I sold the rights to a different story. Oh, okay. So I I wrote a on Ankle Monitor. I wrote a story called Confessions of a Drug Addicted High School Teacher. Oh, and okay. it's That's a story. It's a story about uh, these three. This three-year period. Well, the rights for a three-year period. I was teaching high school, mm-hmm. and I was the fentanyl and the norco, and I cut out the Xanax because I couldn't do the Xanax and teach. And so, but fentanyl, no problem. No problem. Like I, as sure as I'm sitting here talking to you. I, I gotta tell you, I sponsored a girl who's a fentanyl addict. Never knew when she was high. Never. Interesting. Knew. I never did it, but just from everything, ugh, everything. Like, there's a great memoir about it, and I knew a girl who who used to write for me about it, and it, oh my god. But I think, okay, I will just say, Jason played football. He's, if you don't know what he's looking, he's like a, you know, in shape but thicker. So your tolerance maybe for those drugs and being able to hold in it shape together. but thicker no, that's no, no. gonna be the name of my next book no, 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 no. actually there's a, there's a, I, what do you call it like, like what stocky do you call, not thick at all just like like a football player okay i don't yeah oh my god <laughs> I, that is not but, no, I, I, but not fentanyl is like what they give like people in space or something like isn't it like crazy like nasa shit i mean nobody has a tolerance for fentanyl I don't know about astronaut. I, I mean, I, I, oh, okay. I didn't know if there's. Like, I mean, there could be like, a part of the space program we don't know about. Yeah. Um, it, people. A, a lot of people say there's some weird shit going on. Right. Uh, out in space. What are we doing out there? I. That's I, another I, conversation to have. Like. Yeah. Wh- why? We're doing fentanyl. We're doing fentanyl. That's <laughs> where they develop it and they bring it. No, fentanyl is a monster to kick. But you you develop tolerance to it fast. I developed a tolerance, so I would wear it on my skin, and I did that for like five years, and that was legal, and it was prescribed, and that was, and it was I was up to 175 micrograms every two days, which is I didn't know at the time, but that was an insanely high amount. Because micrograms doesn't sound that 175 sounds bad, that, but that's how strong it is. Yeah, it has to come in micrograms. Not so milligrams. people get one microgram probably. People get so they come in like patches come in like 12, 25, 50, mm-hmm. 75, and 100. And I was wearing two patches. I was prescribed two patches. But I'd been on it for so long, it wasn't getting me high. But if, a, God forbid, I ever lost a patch, like the sick, like that withdrawal. So it was horrible because it's all the misery of, of dependence and withdrawal without any of the pleasure of getting high. Which is what opiates always do in the end, right? right? And so what I found out was if I just would chew on it or if I'd stick it in my mouth, I got a two days worth of fentanyl in about an hour. Mm. And that's when everything spiraled out of control because fentanyl, you can't score fentanyl like an urgent care clinic. You know, that's a trip. It was a triplicate. And at that time, you know, hydrocodone and all that was schedule three. So triplicate for the fentanyl, like, yeah, so I got it from two doctors once and I got caught up the first time by the, um, by the FDA or the DEA. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I got it saying, and they alerted both doctors mm-hmm. that I was getting prescriptions. And How they, did they find out? That because in a triplicate, so the doctor gets one, the pharmacy gets one, and then one gets mailed to the DEA. 
And, and so, because it's so powerful. And so. And they sit there and they go through those slips? Uh, somebody does. I, I mean, I got to tell you, I got the third degree trying to get a second box of Claritin the other day. So I, I don't know how anyone's getting through with anything. Is I, that true? It is totally true. I, 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 it, I got two boxes of Claritin within two days. And I, I, you have to give your license to get Claritin. Are you serious? This is for meth. That you look like right, I guess, yeah. So which I had to do, which is weird. Well, I, I wish I did, but I but I really don't. I'm working on it. It's my plant based diet. Um, but yeah, so I don't know how anybody gets through with anything because they were looking at my license and they brought the pharmacist over and they were like asking me what happened to the other packet. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, part of me also think feels like I got out at the right time. Yeah, because it was you a lot got easier. Away with murder, but you were also in a lot of foreign countries. Yeah. And just kind of bouncing around long enough to people for people to forget about you, and then you come back, you know. And, yeah. um, but I, I got out at the right time because now I, I, I mean, it was so easy to scam doctors and pharmacies, and back then, and just worst case scenario, you could come up with some Norco, you know, a hundred Norco from an urgent care or something like that, because I had the scars from my back surgery, so I could always lift my shirt up and be like, "Hey, I have back pain," uh, and at that time they would just treat it, and, and so. Um, now would be a lot different to maintain it, which is why you're starting to see so many people go to heroin. I because, know. And if I just wrote an op-ed piece in a newspaper up north, and it was about that. It was about um, how the government is going to be telling us how what a great job they're doing in getting prescription drugs off the street, and they're doing prescription drug take-back programs, and they're going to be doing lock-your-meds-up programs, and they're going to be doing, uh, d- you know, law enforcement will be more well-trained, and, and nurses will know what to look for, and, and they'll be right. They will get it off the street, and unfortunately, they're going to kill people in the process because they're just shifting that population. If you don't treat the demand at the same time you're attacking the supply, all you're doing is driving up the price and you're moving people over to heroin. Yeah. And but we don't like to treat the demand. We don't that's not a sexy campaign commercial for the congressman who voted to increase $100,000 for a budget for whatever for a grant. They don't want to stand out in front of a rehab clinic or with some guy kicking on the curb or something like that. It's much better to have an education program in an elementary school or a big drug take back program where the older people, the elderly can come and bring their medicine. That's a sexy photo. Right. That's where we want to devote our resources because then we can stand up and say we devoted our resources to these people. Yeah. But nobody wants to fund treatment. Yeah, well, we do write about this on the site semi-regularly, and I do feel like Danielle just watched a Lifetime movie about this. Oh, I did. I definitely did. Um, what, but I, Well, this brings me actually to an important hot question. Um, Two part. One, what's your feeling as a former opiate addict? What's your feelings on harm reduction? And also in that same question, the pen, the, um, the shot. People, oh, regular people carrying around the, awesome. yeah. What, what's your thoughts on that? Um, what was the first question? Generally about harm reduction. Oh, I'm all for harm reduction. I believe, um, if we were to, if I, if, if this were like, if I got to do my little experiment, um, we would do instead of methadone, we call it diamorphine treatment. Mm -hmm. You you change the name of heroin because diamorphine is just a chemical name for heroin, Mm -hmm. but heroin it's, you're changing the word torture to enhance interrogation. Mm -hmm. There's, there's power in just disassociating people with the word. Mm -hmm. So diamorphine treatment in a doctor's office with naloxone nearby. Um, and every time they come, you get, you do hep C tests and you do HIV tests twice a month. And um, they come in and you present treatment options to them. Hey, when you're ready to get 
help. Here's where you can come. Mm-hmm. And, and immediately you take the street game out of it. You take the cartels out of it. You take, uh, yeah, people are going to say, well, that's government funded. Well, the government's already funding, you know, what is the FDA? Right. So why not take the harm out of it? And then also offer treatment because that, that heroin addict dealer, that person's dealer is not going to present them with treatment options. Do you know about Gabor Mate in Canada is doing something very, very similar. That's like his whole, he, he's, he's brilliant. He's written all these books, but that's his whole, that's what he does in mm. Canada. And is it working? Working in quotes, working as well as, you know, I think we're faced with a potentially, you know, unsolvable problem. So is saving, you know, one life working? Um, you know, right. And well, and it's not even so much at that point about the addict. It's about the rest of society being harmed by that addict's choices. And so if that person, if the addict is, we got to make sure they have clean needles. Yeah. They need to be have C tested. They may be HIV tested. Then just give them the drug. They're going to get it anyway. Right. So if you just give them the drug, but reduce the harm and the behaviors around the drug, then you take the criminal element out of it you take the cartel out of it you take the street gangs who are basically subcontractors for the cartels you take you just can you imagine taking the heroin money away from the cartels right, wow. and then all of a sudden you don't have such a narco state down south in mexico that government maybe there's a they can elect a government that can do its job but uh you know in the meantime that's i mean that's my feeling on harm reduction i'm for it um naloxone i think it's it can it can save lives but I think if we if we sort of pull back and look at the big picture, how sad is it that we've got come to a point in society where just normal everyday people have to carry around heroin overdose kits because the heroin is that prevalent and overdoses are happening that much and that often where just everyday people need to carry it. I mean that's that to me is the bigger problem and the fact the the, the fact that we're somehow okay with this. Well, but I mean. I- having a solution i hear what you're saying but but it's amazing that there's a solution that can save lives just that it can be a pen um side note i just rewatched pulp fiction for the first time in 10 years thinking oh I'm, i've seen it way too many times for it to like you know not be miserable god i loved it but that scene oh my god but they put it in her heart which you wouldn't do but that, and that's also not not naloxone it's um, it's adrenaline it's adrenaline. Right. But it's I don't think movie. they had naloxone back. Then. Yeah, it is a movie. It is. Suspension of disbelief. Ladies. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, and it, it's, you're right. It can say, I've had my life saved by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I overdosed in France, that's where they hit me, hit me with. What is and that like coming to from that? Um, it's horrible. Ugh. It's, it's pain. It's immediate withdrawal. Ugh. So your brain is, you're just screaming for the drug. Um, but you're awake. And, you know, you're, you're right. It, I think it, it's, to have it available, it's necessary. But I don't, here's my fear, is that that's gonna become the new normal and we're gonna stop trying to fix it because now we have a, a cure for it. So let's just live with it. And I don't wanna live with it. And I think that that makes it easier to just live with. Mm-hmm. Um, so somehow I wish that we were able to do both. I wish we were able to sort of have it available, but at the same time, it, treat the underlying problem, which is why is it that in America, more than any other country, we feel the need to not be normal. Like I, I've lived all over the world. Nowhere is it like it is here in this country. And in America, we don't even just use drugs to get high. What about England? No. What about all those alcoholics? Right. So you have alcoholics and you have heroin addicts in other countries in the same way you had those things in this country 20 years ago. You know, in the 1960s and 70s and 80s. 
Danielle uh, has to leave. Oh, no. I know. We've driven her out with all this this talk of Europe, weirdly. No. It, it, We're bringing it back to sex, but if you're going to leave. <laughs> no, it, 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 I, I love this conversation. You have no idea how much. Commitment. And we need yeah. to talk about how Jason got into a car accident on the way here, so he was late. Not his fault, but that is part of the reason she has to go halfway through. Yeah, so I, I do apologize, and th- this has been one of the more amazing experiences of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Well, you're a ginger, and that's what gingers make me do. You're a ginger. You you, you are, are a ginger. You are. Yeah. You're you call are. yourself a blonde. Yeah, you're not. You're you're ca- a no, come on. I guess he's a little blonde. Yeah. No, he's blonde. He's strawberry yeah. blonde. Strawberry blonde. What would you call yourself? I don't know. My my but my beard. I would have a red. Beard. The beard doesn't. That's the carpet drape situation. You're not liking the beard. No, no, I love the beard. I'm just the saying. The color does not. I'm getting gray down here. I, I'm sure you've noticed. Yeah, that don't we, we've been worry thinking about, about okay nothing it. else. Yeah. Like which is I'm weird. okay with. This. Yeah. 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 Well, that makes well, me feel good. You've lived 16 lives, so yeah. you know it's amazing that I only You're, have a little bit of gray. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye, Danielle. Bye. Um, so wait, let's talk about your adventure. Well, first of all, I, okay, I want to talk about how you selling the book and all of that. You were writing for your thought catalog. Is that what happened? No, I was writing. So um, I wrote. I wrote a series called Heroin in the Foothills for mm-hmm. a local newspaper, and it was my first time writing anything. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wrote it because nobody was talking about it, and I felt like it needed to be addressed mm-hmm. in my little town, and that. Like there was just something sort of cathartic and something there was just it was therapeutic to write mm-hmm. that I found mm-hmm. and um, so when I, I I kept going and then so the first story I wrote was actually the first chapter of the book about wow. my uncle wow and it was interesting because my a lot of my family had never heard that story they didn't know what happened that day even my parents didn't know what happened that day like especially not in that detail that much detail yeah and so. Um, there was just a lot of stuff inside of me at that time that was like, wow, this this is kind of feels good to get out. And so I put it up on Medium mm-hmm. at medium.com. Where you now work. No. That, that's not Medium? Does it look like I work there? I thought that's where you, this new section you launched, that's not part of Medium? Oh, the, you're talking about the real edition, the publication on it. Yeah, okay. that, that, that's not really, yeah, I don't really work for them, but okay. we do the, some, like, we take stories that might be addiction related for Medium. But okay. at the yeah, time, I just would like to point out that you were like medium. No, okay, go on. No, I'm sorry, okay. but yeah, and so the uh, yeah, I just remember like 20 people read it, mm-hmm. and I thought that was so cool, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, wow, 20 people, mm-hmm. and it made me want to keep writing, mm-hmm. and so I did. And um, like the more I wrote, the more people started reading, and it's you know, so it's kind of neat to see people read your stuff and comment on your stuff, yeah, you know, to get that feedback. Yeah. And um, Thought Catalog then contacted me about if I would asking if I would be interested in putting it together for a memoir. Oh. But at that time, I didn't know how because I had a bunch of stories mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to string it together or tie it together. Mm-hmm. And then one night when I was writing, it just kind of clicked like the, my conversation with Brian mm-hmm. throughout it can sort of be like a narrator mm-hmm. and, and to bring in these different stories. And then I, I liked the idea of for a memoir, instead of telling one big long life, like you, I think you can tell more about what was going on in my life at a certain time by me telling you one day yeah. of how crazy it was. Yeah. Like that's a microcosm of what that time period was. And I think it's more powerful to, um, or at least in my story it was more powerful to really 
go and explore that one day and what I was going through or what I was feeling or what happened. Yeah. Um, as opposed to try to explain eight years of different things that had happened. Yeah. Sort of, I think that it would dilute it with other stories. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I did a memoir too. I think you, I, I didn't know any other way to do it. You would just have to pick days that were representative of that time period because otherwise it's not specific and no writing, writing has to be specific to be good. I think. Yeah. And the thing about the book, so I finished it in December and I, of 2013, uh, no, 2014, Jesus Christ, this came out, I guess thought catalog. Works yeah. Fast. Well, it came out. Yeah. About, it took about seven months. That's, you after. realize that's nothing that it, it takes two years uh, normally. No, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, yeah, they got it out. And yeah. what's cool though, at that point, so in December, keep in mind, I had just started writing in July. So, uh, the, so this is your anniversary of beginning. It is. In fact, I got one of those Facebook memories on the day the book came out was the day I put my first medium and I said, come on, I only need 20 more views for a hundred people or something like that. Like I'm begging for people to read the story in terms of spirituality and you know, coincidences or God's way of remaining anonymous or whatever. Do you believe that this is, I don't know where you stand with all. I kind I, I feel like, um, Everything has happened really fast. Yeah. And. But in terms of the actual I, I, day. Oh, yeah. No, that's, uh, you know, I get the, uh, yeah, I don't believe in coincidences. Mm-hmm. I, I, and sometimes I think the universe sort of winks at you, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. lets you know, like, hey, I'm we're here. in on this. Yeah. And, um, but everything else that's happened has been the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no good reason uh, somebody who's never written in in five months has a publishing deal like that shouldn't happen you realize two thousand people are listening and hate you right now. well yeah no and, and it's not but that's the thing is it's not so much here's what i was able to do and, and i made the commitment to myself like last around august i said i'm gonna write for free and i'm gonna put it out there yeah and instead of chasing like going after different uh, uh, literary agents or mm-hmm. going after different publications with pitches or whatever like I'm going to put my, the very best that I can come up with mm-hmm. and put it out there for free. And hopefully somebody comes to me mm-hmm. and I, and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I was poor. Mm-hmm. I was like dead broke because um, paying all your money to the my government. wife. Yeah. And then my wife, so we're living off my wife's income right? and, and she was like so supportive. She said like, okay, let's do it. Mm-hmm. I said, we're going to be broke. Like, mm-hmm. and we did. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it, it was a lot of work. But at the same time, it, it was just kind of one of those things where, um, for whatever reason, people liked reading the stories. Mm-hmm. And so, but that that happened in December. And so it, I, I have a hard time going back and like even, I, like I said, I've never read the book cover to cover, mm-hmm. but I have trouble reading some pieces because I've changed so much as a writer since mm-hmm. last. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go back and fix it yeah. or change it or, or wait, this could be better. And my, right. my publisher and my editor said, no, let it go. Like it's, that's that book for that period of your life. You have to let it go. And that was some of the best advice I got. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, with my first book, I remember getting into an argument with a friend over something that was in it. And I was like, that is not in there. And then she had to show me and I'm like, how could that be in my book? And I don't remember. I had a torturous situation. I can't fall asleep unless I read. And I was once speaking at a college in a random town and there were no magazines in the room. And I sometimes sell my books when I speak. And so the only thing I could read was my first book. And I was reading it going, this isn't so, I'm not, 
you know, yeah. this isn't so bad. Do you listen to yours? Are you going to listen to this podcast, eh? I might. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't like my voice very much. You have a great so, voice. Do I have a good radio voice? I think so. Maybe we could do a podcast together. I think this was, well, this was my attempt by having you in here to convince you. It's a little bit of I'm a auditioning. Commute. Yeah. It's like when Regis and, and Kelly... Or uh, the Michael straight like they try right, them out like they try out different ones. Yeah. So no, I'm, I'm glad that you caught on to this. But but if you had to come from Northern California and you had as hard a time getting here normally as you did today. Yeah. Some lady just ran right into the back of us. Yeah. Right into the back of us. That's crazy. Like right in the middle of conversation. Like it's the first car accident I've had. Not high. Because <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've wrecked a lot of cars. I've done that to a lot of people. What she right, did to us, right. I've done. I've told my mom's cars at least four of them, four or five of them. And back then, it was really easy because the CHP or whoever they they give you a breathalyzer, and if it was like blue zeros, and they let you go. Like nobody was hip to the pill thing yet yeah. in like the early two thousands. How do they test for pills now? No blood test. They do it on the spot. Uh, no, they'll take you in. They'll give you a field sobriety test, and if they feel, oh, think you might, they'll yeah, take yeah. you inside. But at back then, it was easy. So I've done that to a lot of people. So Coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous. I'll just say that again. And it happened on my way here to talk about... Right. And that's where it all started was with the car accident. I know. God, your life is full of these things. Yeah, you're going to be in my next book now. Right? Oh, good. Well, actually, that's I don't... Well, the next one... The sex one, I don't know. The Sex on Wednesdays book? Yeah. I don't think I have a role in that. No. But... But look, I'm open to whatever. Um, and but I do want to get back. So so the okay, so the book, so it's a year. Um, and then and you know, your medium stories just traffic and I mean you well, you can tell by those little hearts, right? Yeah, how do you do you, I don't I didn't uh, know if people are able to see the traffic. But yeah, like I went from uh, twenty people like ecstatic that twenty people read a story to 80,000 people. That is so insane. And it's what well, it is insane. It's and it's not like I've never felt like, oh, look how good it's always very humbling. Yeah. To know that like uh something that I wrote was seen by that many people. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And that's that's why I don't stress about this stuff. Like the book coming, I didn't know anything about publishing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know uh so uh Thought Catalog owns the only they only own the rights to the ebook. So I own rights to the print. Well, so what does that mean? So you can sell them and keep all the money? Yes. But the, okay. But okay, did you put the book out separately? Mm-hmm. Oh, ain't that was smart. Yeah. These but I, I released them at the same time. Because I want to work in conjunction with Thought Catalog yeah. because they're going to be doing a lot of online promotion. Yeah. And, you know, my, my editor over there, Mink, she's amazing. And... Like I committed to them for this book, mm-hmm. and so I'm gonna do. You know, if they ask me to write something to promote it for the ebook, I will. But it's all tied together, and so basically, when somebody goes to the Amazon page, or they have a ch- they can buy the hard copy. Or they I'm can amazed buy. that Thought Catalog would let you do that, but it was kind of a mistake on their end. Yeah, yeah, they weren't. They 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 kind of screwed something up on that, and so but so that's kind of cool. So that but that means I had to figure out the print. Yeah. And that's not easy. No. Lightning source, Ingram, Create Space. I can't believe uh, you did all that. And, and so, and I didn't know anything. Oh, do they only release ebooks? Is that the deal? They don't print. They don't. No, they could have. I could have had them handle it. Sorry, thought catalog. Right. Up. And the, I mean, the margins on print are so much better than ebook, especially after Amazon takes theirs and then the publisher takes theirs and then you get what's left. Yeah. Where, and I can sell the print also on my website. Wow. And and I sold, 
I mean, it came out. I probably sold sixty or seventy just from the on the website, yeah. like directly. And it just came out yesterday or on the the fifth. Oh my god! And so that's that's really cool. And so yeah. and those margins are great as yeah. a writer. Yeah, you that's... actually get to see the you know be rewarded for your work. Well, yeah, and get the actual straight story. You're talking to someone who has never earned royalties on six books, but most people don't. What do you, how thing. do you mean you never? What do you mean you never? Earned? I've never earned out my advances. Oh. So, isn't that abnormal? You don't have to feel that bad for me. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, that's why when you hear about these people that get these huge advances, feel bad for them because, um, because well, huge advances, you don't ever get another book deal if right. you, you don't come close. And it's just so hard. This business is so hard. But you with your... 80,000 fans on uh, Medium. <laughs> well, no, they don't all buy, all buy books. That's an interesting thing. I have uh, like a many, many Twitter followers and if I sold as many books as I have followers, yeah. I would be really in a different situation. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, some of them do. I, yes. I, look, I don't, and I, the thing is I'm, I'm coming into this really with no expectations mm-hmm. because I did not stress my way into this. Yeah. Like, I didn't... It just happened. Yeah. The writing thing just happened. The medium thing and the book thing just happened. Like, I didn't stress for any of it. I didn't like, oh my God, I need... So why would I stress now that I'm in it? And so whatever, if I sell, like, hopefully, I think my goal is uh, hopefully this book will prove me competent enough as a writer to open up doors for a second book with the the publisher. Yeah. And... um, you know, and then it, if it turns into anything else, you know, um, then that'd be great, like career-wise. Wow! But you I, really mean all this too. Yeah, I don't know any writers who are able. I mean, especially addicts and alcoholics. You know, we th- I think we get very caught up in the results, and and you know, I know one of the things I struggle with is is can I enjoy this without wondering, without getting invested in what the future of this is? See. And for whatever reason, like writing is the one area I don't do that in where like, you know how when if you're using, right, doesn't matter how much you have, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're already worried about running out. Yeah. You're worried about what that's going to. And so and I do that now. Like if I go get a massage Mm -hmm. somewhere, you spend the whole time being like, this is going to end. This is going to end like any second now to that. Yeah. And it's like five (laughs) minutes into an hour massage. I'm like, fuck, this is going to, I know it's almost over. I know it's almost over. And I don't, I can't enjoy the moment because I'm so worried about what's going to come next. Uh, And writing is like the one area for whatever reason I don't, but I think it's because I'm really naive to the process. But how are you going to stay that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, like none, none of this. So I had, um, like had dinner the other night with uh, Bob Levy, who's the producer of Vampire Diaries. Oh, well, he's the guy who's optioning your. Yeah, and then Paul Wesley, the actor. I don't know who that is. He's but... a, he's in Vampire Diaries. Okay, okay. And both of them super down to earth. Mm-hmm. Like I could have met them, and they could have been like Hollywood assholes. And it would have been like, it could have jaded me. Right. Or it could have like, but it wasn't. Like they were really nice people. And mm-hmm. so for whatever reason in in my life so far in the writing, like the people that have come into my life to be a part of it have all been really good people. And even in, even in a town that's notorious for having not very good people but you know with very good motives. you know that's all a lie. It's like what Northern Cal- I'm from Northern California. All where are you stuff. from in Northern California? Bryn. Oh, okay. Yeah, where are you living? Where am I living? Where do you live up north? I live in Auburn. I don't even know where that is. Yeah. 
but but yeah it's like in the sierra tahoe mountains like sort of toward lake tahoe from sacramento it's beautiful then it's nice um but i will tell you having lived um in northern california a lot of my life all this like oh they think there's a rivalry between la and new york and i mean la and uh, san francisco and it's we don't have it we just love northern california yeah no i love i love coming down i was born in san diego Uh uh-huh um i don't come to l i haven't been coming to la a lot but i will be now yeah and a baller. <laughs> we'll uh, see what happens. Um, I don't, I'm not like I said. Anything. I it's like I so I was having uh, coffee with Jerry Stahl right yes. before I got here. Yes. And this is what I told him. I said the best way for me to describe it is like I feel like I'm playing with house money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like everything at this point, if I lose it, it was all winnings anyway. Like it's all house money at this point. But, so I'm and I'm more so it's easier to bet it. It's easier to take right. risks because it's not mine. It's theirs. Which is an interesting thing. And we have to wrap up soon. And I hate that. But but it's sort of like people will say, I even heard this in a meeting this morning, not the first time I heard it, but, and I've even said it, but just that like, that it's all gravy, that like we were supposed to be dead. So, you know, to just look at life, if, if we can remember that and look at every day as, wow, I wasn't even supposed to get this day. So here I go finding fault with whatever it is. It, that's sort of your attitude about publishing. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's going to happen is going to happen. I, I, and now the nice thing about being a drug addict in recovery is we're street smart. Mm-hmm. So we know if we're being hustled, mm-hmm. we know when somebody's bullshitting mm-hmm. us and that transcends industries. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's giving me bullshit or somebody's feet, like I know it because I've done it. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's trying to lie to me about uh, the numbers that I'm going to be getting off of this book or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't line up to what I saw. Like I know it because I pulled that scam. Right. I didn't pull it on a, a writer, but I pulled it on a drug dealer. Right. Or I pulled it on a family member. Right. Like so... There, there. In that sense, I'm protected by my own life experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not a sucker, and I'm not going to get hustled. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm not jaded. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you the opportunity. You know, I'll let you. I'll, and and we'll, you know, and just kind of see what happens. But at the same time, like I'm not naive in that sense of, of just like, you know, I'm not skipping through this, right. thinking people aren't going to try to take advantage of me, um, because there will be. Do you? It's kind of interesting too. It's sort of like, and this kind of brings us back to your book. Um, you know, the sponsor who won't take any of your shit. I mean, that's why they say like one alcoholic talking to another can, you know, can do what no doctor can do because we know all the BS, right? Yeah, and like I can scam a doctor. Yeah, it's easy to. I've done it. I did it for sixteen years. Like well, two thousand fifteen, as discussed, it's harder. Yeah, it is harder, but I could do it. Mm-hmm. I'm confident I could mm-hmm. do it. Um, you know, and that's not like a bragging, like I'm, that's not something to be proud of, but I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there is a sense of like, you know, when somebody try, if, if I'm sponsoring someone mm-hmm. and they come up with their, the bullshit excuse, it's like, dude, just tell me you don't want to do it. Yeah. Tell me you don't have time. Don't lie to me. Cause you have to retrain their way of thought. Mm-hmm. You know, their first instinct is lie. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that's just in that world, you have to lie because honesty is so far from anything that you've produced in a long time. Right. So lying comes naturally. Yeah. So just because they start getting clean doesn't mean that all of a sudden changes. Right. You take the drug away, but the behavior's still there. Yeah. And so you have to help them with that. Hey, don't lie to me. Like, if I, I'd rather be with, you know, my friends right now. Like, mm-hmm. that's okay. You mm-hmm. don't, you can't make it. But mm-hmm. don't lie to me. Mm-hmm. Don't bullshit me. Mm-hmm. Because we see it. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe a friend or a family member of that person would buy the lie and feed into that cycle. I will say I've had sponsees who are using and they tell me afterwards and I had no idea. 
but not really ones that I'm seeing on a day-to-day basis. Although I have become the most clueless sober person. Like I'll be at a party talking to somebody and then we'll, I'll walk away with a friend and they'll go, God, can you believe how wired they were? And I'm like, oh, I just thought they were cheerful and see i don't get caught up in like i don't care if they're using yeah i don't either you know like yeah. i don't really pay it much attention yeah like, if they're using and doing the steps maybe something will stick i don't think oh oh about sober people i just meant people in general oh yeah i don't yeah, know like if i'm sponsoring you and you're getting high like that's on you yeah i yeah, i'm not I but i yeah I, I don't like monitor like or, you know talk to me when you're ready to talk to me yeah but that's the hard part too is because when i met my sponsor i was so done Mm -hmm, I was mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that anymore Mm -hmm. I didn't need nudging in that direction Mm -hmm. so sometimes I have a problem sponsoring people who aren't quite there because I don't know how to treat them because I was never there yeah with the sponsor yeah I was there on my own yes and and so sometimes I have a hard time relating to them or empathizing with them Um, and in that sense I I probably need to grow in a program and as a sponsor um, because I have a hard time relating, you know, to that. Well, I think it's, uh, those are the people that have a much harder time getting sober and you know, it's hard to know. I was completely done even though, you know, I didn't have the DUIs. I didn't have, you know, inside I was just done. So I was just absolutely willing to do anything. Um, but it's hard to know. You don't know you're done until you've experienced not done. Right. And you don't know that not done isn't done. And when you're not done, there's gotta be something in place to help you. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have to be 12 steps. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. You know, there's other ways out there. Yeah. That, that my story involves a 12 step. Yeah. But um, that's not, they don't have a monopoly on recovery by any means. No. And like, um, but there has to be something. Yeah. For them. Yeah. Because you can't, that's, it's cruel. It would be, it's cruel. To the people around you. Well, and it's cruel to the person getting clean. If you just take away the one thing that makes them feel good in yeah. life and don't give them anything in return. Yeah. Like, okay, here, go deal with the world now. Yeah. Like, that's not fair. So yeah. you, there's got to be something there for them. You got to take, if you're going to remove that, like that's taken up such a big part of their heart. Yeah. You got to refill it with something. Yeah. And so for me, like 12 steps really helped with that. Um, I have no idea who that was who just waved at me. But he, is, he's, he was smiling at you he like he smiling, knew you. It's all right. Like I'm not going to judge you. Yeah, it's no. All right. I mean, I've been so for a while. I don't tend to forget men who are waving at me. But you no? know what? Hey. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but okay, this has been fantastic. Is there anything else you want to say? No, thank you so much. You can go, you can go on my website, uh, authorjasonsmith.com. Better for them to buy the book from your son. And it can be signed. It's signed. Oh, that's awesome. And and we are giving away, I don't know if you know this, five five signed copies. Um, so, and it's going to be for the first five people who comment on this podcast on the site look at that look at that you brought it all Good back marketing home. right yeah, okay well that. thank you thank you so much thank you so yeah that was jason smith the author of a bitter taste of dying i forgot to say he's also the creative director of therealedition.com for people who struggled with addiction go check that out thank you for listening we'll talk soon